TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to 100 Not Out, featuring your hosts, Dr. Damien Christoph and Marcus Pierce. Welcome to another edition of 100 Not Out, a weekly show dedicated to helping you master the art of aging well. My name is Marcus Pierce, and I'm here with the fabulous co-founder of The Wellness Couch and The Wellness Guys, Dr. Damien Christoph. How are you, Damo? Very well, thanks, Marcus. Thanks for having me here again today. Yeah, Damien, this is very exciting. So far on 100 Not Out, you and I have, I suppose, come to the conclusion that the key ingredients to aging well, based on you know the common principles of our interviewees, are exercise, yes. social engagement, and uh-huh. having a purpose uh, in each day and, yeah. and, and life. Um, yeah. But we've noticed that not all graceful ages have eaten well, nor have they had a stress-free, trauma-free life. That's true. So I've, I've been thinking about this, and I'm thinking that the rules of the game for the 80 and 90-year-olds of today are actually quite different to the rules that you and I and the few billion other people under 60 really need to adhere by. Mm. Um, and the thing that I've been thinking about is chemical exposure. Okay. I think the, the graceful ages of today, they weren't exposed to the same chemical stress that you and I are on a daily basis. They weren't on their mobile phones. They weren't on computers every day. They weren't watching eight hours of TV every day. They weren't living in a Wi-Fi world. Mm. Um, they were kind of beginning to be exposed to plastics and the like, but for many people it was as adults, not as children. True. So I wanted to see if we could look at this extra piece in the puzzle um, that's often neglected in the aging game. And after listening to his interview on The Good Doctors with Dr. Ron and Michelle, yeah. I thought that there was no one more qualified to fill this gap in for us than Dr. Mark Cohen. Yes. So cool. I then went to write the introduction to Mark, and it is going to fall well short of the reputation he holds in the health and wellness industry because I, I would just say to find out all about Mark Cohen, simply go to Google and type in Mark with a C, <laughs> Cohen, R-M-I-T, <laughs> check out his bio and your mind will simply boggle. boggle. Um, but for the layperson, Mark is a... Your mind will Google. Your, it might, your mind will Google. But for the yeah. layperson, Mark is a medical doctor. He's a PhD times two yeah. and creator and leader of the postgrad Masters of Wellness program at RMIT. And we've just found out he is on the board organizing the Global Spa and Wellness Summit where the King of Bhutan and the Dalai Lama will be present in Delhi later this How's year. That? So we are very privileged to have him on the show. Mark Cohen, welcome to 100 Not Out. Oh, great to be here with you. And just, just to um, qualify that, we're working on the King of Bhutan. The Dalai Lama has confirmed, but um, we're still working on a high-level official, possibly the King of Bhutan, to come to that Global Wellness Summit in, in Delhi. But yeah, great to be with you. Thanks for no. inviting me. Let's no use the power of positive thinking there, Mark. Let's just lock him in. Hey, he's, he's there. That's, mm-hmm. That'll be great. Power of positive yeah. thinking. That'll get him there. Beautiful. Mark, I have to ask you, can I get this right? Do you think the rules are different for people today when it comes to ageing well compared to the people who are already there? Um, I, mean, I hesitate to say they are different because I think you know, the, the rules are the rules of you know, living well and ageing well. And, and while the... the um, the playing ground has changed a lot. Uh, you know, the, the, they're the same rules that our ancestors really had to live by, and that you know that is um, you know you have to satisfy the, the needs of your mind and your body and your community and the planet. And um, certainly, you know, it's a very different playing field that we're working. 
in. Um, and it's a moving goalpost, but you know, they're, they're basic principles that apply just as well to us as they did to you know, the ancient Greeks or you know, their ancestors even. That's 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 a great point, actually. You know, certainly we, we definitely see, and you can see this, you can parallel that with anything that changes through our society. The rules, the main rules are the same. The playing field has changed. That is true. We do find, though, that there's a whole lot of stuff that's in our water supply. There's a whole lot of stuff that's in our environment. You know, we're exposed to carbon monoxide in larger quantities these days than what other people ever have. Um, do you think that some of the water-soluble toxins um, that get into our body, that given that they flood into our environment, that that might actually be playing a role with people's declining health and failure to age well? Oh, there's no question that um, environmental pollution is one of the major factors that um, causes decline in our health, and that, that's always been the case. Um, you know, we're, we're exposed to a whole plethora of chemicals in our food, in our water, in our soil, um, in our air, um, that, that many have never existed in on the planet before that we've created from industrialization um, but you know and, and that does have a major impact on our health but throughout the ages people have always had to contend with that um, you know, when, when we were living in caves and things you know people had wood smoke you know fires and there was a lot of you know but breathing you know wood smoke's not uh, not that great and and you know the comforts that they could enjoy and the range of foods they 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 could um utilize weren't nearly as great as we have and you know whether in every stage of um of human civilization we've had to deal with that um you know entropy you know the creation of disorder is part of um the living process we all have to create disorder to be alive yes. and and we have to deal with that we all have to clean up our mess um and literally deal with our shit that, that, and, <laughs> and, at, and at the moment, we, um, we're coming to the limits of the planet to be able to do that for us. So we, we need, need to start thinking about that consciously. Because in the past, the planet was considered so big that you could you know, destroy an area and then just move on and you know, wait till it regenerated. But we're, we've gone to the limits of that. And now we're finding that um, you know, everything's connected. And that if I release you know, plastics into the, you know, the Yarra River here in Melbourne, you know, those plastics will find themselves into the ocean and, and then get dispersed around the whole planet. And, um, you know, similarly, you know, my um, carbon emissions, my methane emissions, my other industrial chemical emissions, you know, locally affect a global population. And that's, that's the same for everybody. So we're all in this together. Um, and that's, that's, I think, the new conversation we're having. That's a new play, playing field. We're, we're on a, a limited planet and... Um, we're all in this together, and my well-being is actually really dependent on your well-being as well. Okay, so this is where this is where I get a little bit confused, right? We've interviewed a couple of people on here. Uh, I don't think we've we've published all of these interviews yet, but I'm thinking of one particular farmer, Dexter, who's in his hundreds. Dexter, he's, yeah. he's past a hundred. Yep. He has, and and he won't mind me saying this. He has the unhealthiest diet I've ever heard in someone at 100 plus. It's coffees, hot chocolates, cakes. Um, it's everything, as Damien told Dexter at the time, everything that every single health professional goes against, right? Um, but when it comes to chemical exposure, Dexter is still exposed to this same chemical um, cocktail that we're all exposed to. But my, my belief or theory, I don't know what it is yet, is that when he was a child, he wasn't exposed to the same level of toxicity that, that kids are exposed to today. Um, so that's, and I think that's kind of what you're saying that the, 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 the playing field has changed. The rules are the same, but the playing field has changed. Um, but 
are people like Dexter not going to be created, for want of a better term, in the future because our diet has more significant consequences on us today than what it did when Dexter was, you know, in his 70s and he was eating chocolate cakes? Are the consequences just different today? Well, they are. And in fact, the consequences today, and we're learning about this more and more with the field of epigenetics um, and transgenerational epigenetics, is that the, the things that you do right now in your life not just affect you and your children, but potentially your children's children and their children. Mm. So there are transgenerational effects So that, that go up, up to four generations. So it's, um, yeah, the effects um, is a lead on. And I imagine, I mean, Dexter may have some particular combination of genetic advantage and um, early life experience advantage to you know, let him live a ripe old age on a bad diet. But, um, you know, we all have this um, very unique... Um, exposure history, but also a, a very unique ability to handle um, and uh, capacity to handle different exposures. So we we know that there's a, a lot of polymorphisms in what they call the detoxification enzymes, the people four fifty pathway in our livers yes. um, that may metabolise drugs and metabolise environmental toxins. And there's a huge difference in our ability to do that, and um, you know that may be a factor. Uh, it's also the we know that, that a lot of toxins accumulate in our, our environment and accumulate in our body. So, you know, what we're exposed to and, and um, you know, early life experiences and also our parents' and grandparents' early life experience may, may have had a play. So it, it's very hard to put it down to one particular factor for an individual. Um, so, yeah, so you, you get these aberrations of people on bad diets or people who, you know, my grandmother smoked for 80 years and died in her mid-90s. Um, unrelated causes. Yeah, that is amazing. We do see that. I've I've recently got involved in the uh, nutrigenomic world as well, Mark. Uh, we do a lot of nutrigenomic testing in our practice um, with, mm-hmm. with a company called Smart DNA, and we've found that to be quite profound in, you know, measuring people's or looking at people's genetic uh, makeup, their their genetic blueprint, then you know helping them them to understand more about what it is that they could avoid or could do more of that could enhance the longevity and improve their um, their well-being. So that uh, whole epigenetic uh, discussion, it, it, it's it's excellent. I love it. Mind uh, you, that's, that's still just a re um, a modernization of, of some ancient knowledge. I'm working a lot in India at the moment with the Ayurvedic practitioners, and they oh, yeah. have a system called Prakriti, yeah. which is where they, they analyze your dosha, your particular individual propensity for you know, lifestyle, for thinking, for putting on weight, for metabolism. And they would individualize your lifestyle advice based on your own constitution. Ah, now, whether you're Pitta, Kapha or Vata. Vata, yeah, that's right. Nice. And um, so that was, you know, based on your constitution, they would prescribe a treatment. Now, now we've discovered the human genome and we can then look at pharmacogenomics or nutrigenomics and, and prescribe, you know, diet or, or drugs based on your own genetic profile mm-hmm. but it's that same understanding the individual's constitution and then modifying um, whether it's a lifestyle prescription a diet prescription a, a medication prescription according to that individual rather than according to just a, a whole population yeah love it lovely uh, it's incredible now mark off the off the air before you and i and marcus we had a little chat and uh, we asked you for your secret. You know, what's the secret? What's the one thing that you think that helps people um, live a long time? And I, I think I know what you're going to say, and I don't know whether or not you've changed your mind. But what do you think is actually uh, important for somebody who wants to live a long time? Well, for me, the most important thing is just to love life. And, um, and, and there's a double-edged sword there. 
Um, because you don't know how long... I mean, there's two things that are sure. One is you're going to die. And the other thing is that you don't know when you're going to die. True. So, um, so you know, if you're doing something you hate just to have a long life, you're sort of missing the point. Mm. Um, and in the process of loving life, um, not only are you going to um, maximise your chance of having a long life, it means if your life is, for, for some reason, unexpectedly cut short, at least you've lived the, the most you can in the time you've been given. But there's also another twist there because you'll find that when you're engaged in really loving life, so when you're engaged in an activity that really fully absorbs you, it's like time slows down. Mm. So you, actually get to, so you actually get to live more in each moment. It's like when you're in love. You know, Dr. Bruce Lipton talks about the honeymoon effect and he says mm-hmm. that, you know, when you embrace that person that you love and you feel love for the first time, it feels like an hour is a, is a day, you know. It's, mm-hmm. it's, I know what you're talking about. That's it. So, so in terms of, I mean, your longevity, I think it's, it's a bit of a, you know, a, a crude measure to measure longevity in just the number of years your body's been on the planet. Whereas you know that you can have some some minutes or some seconds can be so powerful and so intense, and other minutes can be really boring and seem to you know not be that significant. Nice. So I think if if we can be fully present in every moment and really milk the the significance and the 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 life out of every moment we're alive, then you've had the longest life, even though you might have had the same number of years. Yeah. Um, Mark, can I ask you about in terms of just because you've got so much clinical and, and, and experience in the field, can you share some of your insights into how you've seen that lack of love of life manifest in your own yeah, daily clinical experience? Oh yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I had a basic. When I, I mean, I'm still not. I'm still registered as a doctor, but I, I don't have an active practice at the moment. But one of the most um, key questions I used to ask my patients was, you know what is the most fun you've had in the last week or last month or last year? Or what do you do? What activities do you do that when you do them, um, you, you, you get totally absorbed in the activity? And it's funny because as doctors, we, we get trained to ask all about, uh, chiropractors, whatever, health practitioners, we, we, we get to ask all about pain. And you, know, you ask about pain and then there's 10 questions about pain, you know, the site and the duration and the severity and where it radiates and what's onset and offset relieving factors and all, all these other things we ask about pain. It's very, very rare that we actually ask about pleasure. And, um, Good point. But, it, but, it, but it's just as important. And when you actually ask people what turns them on, you know, where do they get their pleasure in life, what makes them tick, you literally ch- see them change in front of you. Because when, mm. when they start talking about the things that matter to them, you know, their eyes start to sparkle, their, their, their voice becomes more enlivened, their posture changes. So even just in that short space of a consultation, you, you know when you've hit something that matters to them because you can sense it because they actually enliven, they become more alive in front of your eyes. It's like a healing conversation. Well, it is. But then, and then you can take it further. And, and what I used to do is I used to write it, find out what people used to love to do. And, and it was quite amazing because very often you could track the, the, the worsening of their disease or their condition to when they stopped doing the things they loved. Ah. And often, you know, because people think, oh, you know, know, I've got to give up time for my kids or my job or my illness is preventing me from doing it. And then they get into this downward spiral. And um, so you find out, you know, I used to try and find out what what they love to do and then put that, write a prescription for doing that. So I used to write prescriptions for ballroom dancing and prescriptions for making model airplanes and (laughs) whatever it was for that person. (laughs) 
and put it on a script pad and get them to put it on their fridge and say, you, you need to do this three times a week or four times a week or, you know, X hours a day, whatever. Um, and people used to think I was crazy initially, but then I'd explain to them that this is really important for your health. And, um, you know, then they were actually quite grateful. And, and by giving them permission to do the things that, they, that enlivened them, that really helped manage their condition. Now, you'd also do other things, obviously, that help with their condition as well. But just generally, you know, getting people to engage more in life. And um, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of Joseph Campbell. So I was, you know, say, follow your bliss. Yeah. You, you have this internal compass that tells you what's the right thing to do in any moment. And, um, you know, I don't know, Patria King's the one who's coined this phrase, but, you know, love is always appropriate, you know. Life is always the answer. Yeah. So, you know, you've got this internal guide that says, what is the most appropriate thing to do? Follow your bliss. You know, love is always appropriate. And then if you give permission to actually do that, to, to um, enable people to do that, you, you enliven them. And in enlivening them, you're going to give them the best chance for a long life. Well, this is what I share at workshops when we talk about aging well. There's a great example um, of the oldest surviving Holocaust um, individual is a lady by the name of Alice Hertz Sommer. She's 109. And uh, she's gone through major, obviously, trauma in her life, lost um, kids and husband and all the rest of it. Um, and But she talks of she talks with love of her experience um, through that terrible time in her life. She talks of playing music. She loves music. And she talks of entertaining the, um, the, uh, the people while she was um, in the concentration camps. And love has permeated her life, no matter her external circumstances. And even, this is what I find, Mark, people that don't necessarily eat that well, actually, if love is present in their life, their longevity, uh, the probabilities of longevity and longevity with good health um, are far more in their favour sure, than someone I mean, that eats well that doesn't have love in their life. Oh, and that's always a you know big discussion. It's not just about the diet. It's it's how you know how well you we really enjoy enjoy your food and and yeah the amount of love. I mean, I'd much rather eat. Um, it's much better to eat food that's maybe not as healthy, but really enjoy it and love it and get the nutrients out of it, than eat health food and be really paranoid and worried it and you're eating it because you know you don't want to get cancer and so you're eating it for negative reasons and you're eating it with a mindset that you know I have to eat this because otherwise I'm going to die yep it's not and a choice so it's much better to be eating food that you're really going to enjoy and ultimately I think that um, you know your body if, if you're in touch with your body your food your body will guide you to food that um, will be good for you so the food that's ultimately the most enjoyable is also the food that ultimately is the best for you. And you might think that you know the big tub of ice cream or the, or the big bit of highly processed chocolate cake is really good for you. But you know, but when you've eaten it all, then you feel really sick afterwards, and, and you realise no, maybe it wasn't. Um, so I think we need to be more in touch with our own sense and our own feeling for whether it's diet or what we're doing, and realise is this um, the most Engaged, I can be. Is this what? Is this? Am I following my bliss in doing this activity? Mark, and, I'm picking up. Um, sorry, MP. I just what I'm picking up here is that whilst there's so many rules, there's so many different things that we could do. There's a million, a million and one different diets out there. There's a whole lot of different exercise programs. Each of them proclaiming to add years to your life and life to years. All these sorts of things. The number one thing that it seems to be is happiness and or engagement. So it's your mind. It's how you feel in your heart. Uh, that kind of determines how you're going to express your life based on anything else that you put into your body. Yep, yeah, I think that's that's 
pretty straightforward. And you know, if if you're really hating your life, I mean, why would you want to have a long a long life anyway? Um, so there, and we know, I mean, depression has become a, a global epidemic, and there are people that feel so out of control. And we also know depression is a independent risk factor for heart disease, for um, for a whole range of you know chronic disease and and uh, morbidity and mortality. So, um, yeah, you know, having a purpose and meaning, and you know, generally it's love and engagement in life that gives us that purpose and meaning. I want to ask you one thing, which I know would be on the tip of everyone's tongue, who's who's conscious or concerned about their their future. I ask people, what do you what what disease would you hate to get the most if you were going to age and live for a long time? And for ninety percent of the room, it's normally dementia. Mm-hmm. Um, my belief in terms of interviews that we've done and, and research I've done is that exercise is one of the biggest nutrients to preventing dementia. In your experience, what would you tell people to do if they wanted to prevent dementia over the course of their whole entire lives? Well, you know, it's probably the same thing I tell them to do to avoid cancer or to avoid heart disease or stroke or diabetes. Because um, when you get down to the prevention side, um, all the messages converge. So it's, it's you know, look after what what goes into your body so um you know be protective of what goes in and that's not just what goes in physically so the you know the food um but also the air you know don't smoke and you know try and stay out of you know really highly polluted cities but also the thoughts and the information that goes in um so you know eat seasonal local organic whole foods as much as possible but not to the extent that that's you know being rigid about it and being paranoid about it so really enjoy your food but as much as you can, move towards whole foods, um, seasonal, local, organic. Um, then use your body um, as much as possible. And, and, you know, just walking, but finding an exercise that you love to do. I mean, my favorite exercise is dancing. And, um, tr- and try and, and um, exercise to the point of sweating. Do you uh, dance until you sweat? Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> I do a five rhythms practice. You know, Gabrielle Ross um, founded this practice of five rhythms, which is a sort of a free form dance, which goes through flowing, staccato, chaos, lyrical, and stillness. And after you know a two hour class, I have to change my clothes because I'm drenched. But Does it's, that it's help such... my hips become loose? Because as my wife would tell me, I have the stiffest hips going around when it comes to dancing. They don't move an inch. No, you just got white man rhythm. That's what's going on with you, mate. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, the thing about five rhythms, I mean, you, there's no specific moves. You just have to feel your body and move whatever's happening in your body and, and it's appropriate for people in wheelchairs or people with disabilities or pe- the elderly um, because it's just getting in touch with how your body feels to move and generally when you move it um, things loosen up Think and not, it not, it's not just the physical movement that happens, you also have a, a link between the mind and the emotion so when you start moving your body um, you know, you can move through different emotions and there's a whole map, um, Gabriel Roth calls, you know, maps to ecstasy, but there's a map of how the rhythms map to the emotions and, um, you know, the best way to move um, things through your mind is actually to get your body moving. Well, there is so much to learn. We could go on for hours, but uh, we'll have to have you at an event or, or do something longer with you, Mark. But I want to thank you so much um, on behalf of everyone listening to this program for sharing so much of your wisdom with us on 100 Not Out today. It's a pleasure. Great to be with you. Damo, that's it for this edition of 100 Not Out. Remember, folks, we'd love to hear your feedback. It is a shame. Um, 
You can provide it in any number of ways. The best way, as always, is to go to our website at www.thewellnesscouch.com slash 100notout. Also, if you've liked this episode, then please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and also check out thewellnesscouch.com where you can view the entire range of wellness podcasts available, including the number one show, The Wellness Guys. But until next week, continue to make the rest of your life the best of your life. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Hi, Dr. Brett Hill from The Wellness Guys here. Imagine having six internationally renowned health and well-being specialists all to yourself for three whole days. Imagine a beautiful tropical location away from the rat race where you can fully immerse yourself in creating a new you. Imagine personalized one-on-one attention to help you break through to the next level. Join the three Up For A Chat girls, Kim Morrison, Cindy Amira and Karen Smith and the three wellness guys, Dr. Lawrence Tam, Dr. Damien Christoph, and myself for the BFO Wellness Retreat at the luxurious Western Resort and Spa in Fiji and make your health a priority. For more information, go to thewellnesscouch.com and click on shop. We can't wait to see you there.